Welcome to the Lighthouse Conversations, a podcast featuring entrepreneurs and tastemakers from the world of arts, culture, tech, and food. I'm your host, Hesham Montasser. If you're enjoying the show, we'd love it if you could share it with a friend or two. You can also listen to our extensive catalog of previous episodes, like my conversation with Egyptian restaurateur Ayman Bey, the fantastical co-founders of Bogja, Hoda Baroudi and Maria Hibri, award-winning Egyptian artist Maha Ma'moun, and so many more. I'm joined on the show today by cultural strategist Mayid Deep. May has been working with Sotheby's for more than a decade, since her days as a fresh college grad back in 2008. So I've known May for a number of years, so there was a lot to talk about, from her evolving career in the art world to, of course, my upcoming 50th birthday. So what are you doing for your big 5-0? It needs to be a big shebang. So my aspiration in life is to become like, I have a huge like girl crush on, it's Igilet, like... Uh, she has this store in the UK, like concept store, which I'd love to do in Cairo. And she's like an influencer and she's like a design person. And she has this amazing property in the countryside called Oakley Court, where she it's like a hotel. So that's like my dream to become like her. And she's only four years older than me. <laughs> in what way is this relate to me? Because it was really about me, I thought. And I'm not like, sure. How did we make it about you? She just this had, whole conversation, she just had her, if it doesn't pivot back to me, we have a problem. She just had her 40th birthday ah. at her property. You need to do a huge party. I'm happy to arrange it. <laughs> but I'm very, can you very invite exp- Fifi? Very You're expensive. expensive. <laughs> I can afford it. Part of being 50 is you can afford it. But if I can't afford it, then the whole thing is off. Sells wealth these days. It's all about self wealth. <laughs> May has authored a new book called Cairo Eternal with publishing house Asoline. I wanted to sit down with May to learn how the book came together, how, as a somewhat of an outsider to Cairo, because she's from Alexandria, naturally, she was able to see the city without traffic and nostalgia, as my friend Nadia Wasif likes to call it, and how she was Instagram to source some of the 250 images that became part of the book. And the one important photo she missed out on. Why was I not in the book? Uh, I think, honestly. I mean, I just think that everybody's thinking that. Honestly, honestly, (laughs) I think you left Cairo a bit... uh, Early? Yeah, before I came to Cairo. (laughs) (laughs) Too early, yeah. I may have left too early. You may have left before I came to Cairo, so I think that's the problem. Yeah, that is the problem. I think if you were still there... Although we just talked about this, it is my 50th uh, birthday next year. Yes. You could have waited a year and relaunched the book as me and the book. An homage to you. Yeah, homage to me for my oh, birthday. Absolutely. Which I feel would have... We I could know, maybe reinterpret the I book. I don't know how. I missed that. Yeah, I don't know how. I think I need to speak to someone. I, I think you should speak to someone. Absolutely. Remains unnamed who, but yes, you should speak to I someone. I will definitely speak to someone. Okay. Now that that's out of the way, let's get into it. Congratulations. You published a beautiful book on Cairo with Asoline. Talk to us first, um, how did this project come about? Okay, first of all, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. This is my first podcast. Oh, I feel, yes. I feel very special. You are special. Uh, with or without the podcast. <laughs> but the podcast makes you more special. More special. Yeah. So how did this come about? Well, essentially... It goes back to Dubai in a way, in a very okay. funny way. So, as you know, Mirna Ayed, who was one of your guests on yes. the podcast. She was my first guest. Your first guest. Wow. So, Mirna is a very good friend of mine, and she had just published her Dubai Wonder book. And I'm like, oh, my God, Dubai has a book. Cairo doesn't. We need a Cairo book. So, I'm like, Mirna, since you already have a relationship with Asuline, do you mind, like, 
pitching, plugging, plugging it, like Cairo, and I do it. She's like, absolutely. And Mirna like pushes it. And I don't, I, I honestly, like, I don't know how, and it went, it happened just so quickly. It happens. And I start writing this Cairo book for Asuline. And it's even more amazing because you're actually not from Cairo. No. So let's talk about that. Because that's very interesting. No, I'm only, I'm going to give the context to non-Egyptians. Because obviously... I if, think a lot of people don't get... No, they don't get. They but, don't get but, why I'm like also like so giddy about the fact yeah, that yeah. I'm not no, we, from we're gonna, Cairo. We're going to explain <laughs> yeah. that for anyone from Cairo, this includes me, to have an Alexandrian write about Cairo is like the cardinal sin. And vice versa, Yanni, obviously. <laughs> Absolutely. If the book was about Alexandria, I think even worse, probably. Yeah. Because Alexandrians are very hardcore. Very hardcore. Yeah. Not only that, I'm also very hardcore Alexandrian. No, I know you are. And proud. No, 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 no. Absolutely. You have a, an annual pilgrimage to Alexandria with all the art lovers. I mean, and you've done so much Alexandria. I yeah. agree. I actually love it because in some ways, obviously, you are a super insider. You're Egyptian. You grew up there. You lived there. You know everybody. You, you have a lens and an editorial eye. And in the other sense, you actually did not grow up in Cairo. So you, you are using that also. And I think it shows up in the book. Tell us about your thinking process. I've always, like, this is something that, that's very interesting. So I'm from Alexandria. I still live between Alexandria and Cairo when I'm in Egypt. And I'm very proud of being from Alexandria. And everyone always loves to say, Alexandria, you know the village. And it's like, yes, it used to have this huge, glorious past, but now not so much. And Cairo has sort of overtaken it in a, in a very strong way. And I grew up always going to Cairo. And I have these memories, and no, no, I'm going to, and, and this is the, like the first paragraph. And I, I'm, can I ah. use Arabic? Ah, yeah, you can. And I write Hamasr. Intiraha Masr, Masr, Masr. But Masr is Egypt. So yeah. why is Cairo essentially Egypt? And it is. Yeah. Because. And every Egyptian calls it Masr. Masr. Yeah. It is. Cairo is the motherland in the sense like everyone if you want to succeed in egypt you're going to cairo you're not going Correct. to alexandria Correct. anymore you've Maybe. never heard of an egyptian that stayed in alexandria or you've heard but very rarely i just want to say also every single successful businessman in cairo right now is originally from alexandria we can cut that but no it's true <laughs> but artists it's... mahmoud said so many artists mahmoud the one Saeed, yeah, yeah. Me. A lot, like so a lot many. of it is is rooted in alexandria if only mo salah was from alexandria the whole story would have been finished well but... we have some people we have a fantastic uh, uh woman race uh, runner i'm not sure if yeah, but that's not quite the same Mahtrami, the woman runner i'm sure she's great but see, I mean, no no she's fantastic but it's not mo salah it's not mo salah now if you find his mother maybe, maybe we can maybe attribute him to alexandria then it would... no i don't think so i don't think it's attributed to alexandria but there are great alexandrians 100 percent. so for me seeing cairo i am a local but i'm not a local as well because which is are, what makes it so interesting yeah there are so many parts of this book that like, I remember the first time visiting Islamic Cairo. Like, I remember it. So I felt that in the book. So there are elements that are very insider in the sense of, I'm talking about the photography predominantly, you know, an insider lens, how somebody from the city would look at it. Then there are parts that have felt insider-outsider, which I think is very you, essentially, because you've probably seen some of these images at a later stage in your life, not the moment you were born. And then there are, of course, images that I found, frankly, to be very honest, a little Orientalist, which maybe the editorial choices, Asoline made them, whoever, doesn't matter. But those all came together as a pastiche, essentially, in this book. So, uh, first of all, you have to know who the audience is. I, I don't essentially think the audience is... Egyptian. Like, yes, uh, a certain... A group of Egyptians will buy this book. Who yeah, would and like, have it as a coffee table have, book. As a, or... as a coffee table book. I was actually surprised... I. 
that anyone would re- read the essay because I don't know. I, ha- I read the essay. You of read that, yeah, of course. Yeah. Like, uh, why wouldn't you? You're, no, up. you're a. Well, liter- I have to also prepare for this. And you're podcast. a literary connoisseur. You're like someone who named your space after Virginia yeah, Woolf. I, I forgive you. I forgive you for not uh, putting me into books. Yes, it's fine. But like, essentially, everyone I know who's owned any of these Asulin books. They're just coffee table books. Like they've never read the essay. So I wanted to also like see how it is that we can grab and capture the audience visually through these like insider images of what I think is my Cairo, what I see as Cairo, what I see as a contemporary Cairo that's thriving, that's young, that's vivacious, but also these like nostalgic images, which are so important. And everyone likes to harp on like these beautiful images from the past and they are beautiful and they are essentially part of our history. And there's also like these kitsch images which define Cairo and are for a touristic audience that wants to come and see this part of Cairo. And some of us even romanticize it. I mean, Nadia Wasif, a dear friend, is in the book. And one of her quotes is about romanticizing Cairo. I find myself doing the same thing. And that's okay. Like there's no sin. There's absolutely no sin in romanticizing Cairo and having this element of nostalgia. I have this with Alexandria effectively all the time. I live in a in an Alexandria that doesn't exist anymore. It's an no. Alexandria of my making, of what I've read about it. I never actually physically experienced the Alexandria I love. Of day to day. No. When I was a, a student, a college student, I worked on a guide on Cairo called Let's Go, which was a guide run by the Harvard Student Agency, which was about Egypt, uh, like kind of on a budget, right? Okay. The lady before me that did it the year before, the students actually, was one year ahead of me, Hanin, I'll never forget. I called her to ask her for advice, even though I was from Egypt and she was not, she was Palestinian. She said, you know, I went to parts of Cairo and you really have to reimagine it. It's like you said, it's in your mind, in your mind's eye, it's not what you see. Mohammed Shahid, who did the beautiful architectural survey. Cairo Observer. Cairo Observer also said the same thing. My take on nostalgia is it's 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 the past minus information. Uh, I feel like when you have access to bits of the past, but there are missing fundamental pieces of information to really help you imagine, you'll ne- we'll never be able to reimagine a, 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 definitely a moment of time that we never even lived, right? For, it's always going to be a reconstruction of the bits and pieces of details that we have. If we only have an image of a postcard, that's very little information in some way. Of course, it's also not very, very little because a picture is a lot. But if you have the picture of the postcard with more information about who published it, who took the picture, where is the place, um, what's it like today, you know, and then some more context, suddenly I think you go from nostalgia to history. It was a big responsibility in the sense that it's a big thing. I like Come on, it's a big it's, city. It's, not only is it a big city, it's... No, the weight of what it means to so many people. So many people. All of a sudden, you're, you have a license to talk to about it. To talk this. about it. And, yeah. that's, and, then, and then that's what I'm saying. Like, this is my love letter to Cairo. So don't judge me. And this is me. This is all me. It's nothing. It, your Cairo can be completely different. And you have every right to have a very different Cairo than the one I have. And you know what? Cairo means many things to many different people. So let's talk about your Cairo. What? In your point, from your point of view, makes it magical. So definitely, hands down, it's the people. Okay. Over and over again. Okay, thank like, you. Coming back to me, that's great. Yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> so over and over again, it, this is what makes it. Like you know, I was just having this conversation like with someone. You're not anonymous in Cairo, and that's one of the things you you can't be anonymous. Can you clarify that? What does that mean? You're not anonymous. So, 
maybe it's not a nice comment to New York. So I lived in New York for six years. Okay, and no, 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 what? I, New York. I lived in New York for six years mm. and, uh, and I loved New York. And when I moved there, I thought I'd never leave. And if, if you're sick and you live in a building and you're, no one cares. and your building has a doorman and you haven't left your apartment for 10 days, no one cares. Yeah, El Bawab will definitely care and come No, no, El Bawab is definitely going to ring he on your door. He also is going to think you have an affair and he wants to know who it's with, but that's a different story altogether. He probably will assume you have yeah. an affair. Yeah, I exactly. Have, I have a Bawab story, like one time. We all have Bawab stories. No, I know. Are we, we going all, there? No, no, it's a, it's a very PG story, okay. so it's fine. So my cousin had the keys to my apartment and mm. I was upstairs sleep, asleep. She had the keys and this is a girl and it's, she comes up at like 12 o'clock, seconds later. 12 midnight or Midnight, two? okay. Okay, five seconds later, the Baweb, Amiahia, is ringing my doorbell. Furiously. Furiously. Mm. And I'm like, what the hell is wrong? What's that? There's something that went into your house. I said, Amiahia, with a door. I want to go in bed. I want to go in bed. I want to go in bed. It's not a shame. It's not a shame. She's not a stranger. Yeah, she yeah. obviously has keys. She obviously has access. And I'm inside the house and I'm fine with it. So so you're getting at the social fabric. Exactly. I think, right? Yeah. Okay. So that makes Cairo special. But I'm going to just push back here. The same social fabric presumably exists in Alexandria. So that's not unique to Cairo. Maybe it's unique to Egypt. I think it's definitely unique to Egypt. And... For me, Cairo is just so Alexandria is a, is, a, is is tiny. Like I actually, I, no. I, it's, it's it's a tiny, tiny society, and a lot of things that you can't do. So Cairo, on, on contrary to that, you have places where you can experience a lot more music, you can experience a lot more art, you can experience a lot more uh, a lot more elements that you don't necessarily have in Alexandria. So that also makes Cairo a lot more interesting. Do you have more grit in Cairo? No, I think. Definitely, Alexandria has Really? Won. Okay, that's Definitely. interesting. So if you okay. look at the current music scene, a lot of it's coming out of Alexandria. So it's edgier. So you, I mean, so you wrote the book, but you really want to talk about Alexandria, which I find like, but anyway, no, we're going to, no. like, I, I don't want to do Alexandria no, Cairo no, thing. No, there's no competition. Like, there's not, definitely competition. It's not a competition. But like, if you look at Wigs, for example, yeah. who is uh, one of the most interesting musicians coming out of Egypt right now, he's from Alexandria. Yeah. If you look at Afrotto, he's also from Alexandria. Fantastic so name. A lot of, a lot of, no, I, I urge you to listen to the music because yeah, yeah, like this trap music coming out, rap trap music coming out of Egypt is fantastic. 100%. And it's a reflection of, of, of the current social times. And they're from Alexandria. And I think it's, they're, the reason they're producing this music is because there is nothing in Alexandria. There's absolutely nothing. In Cairo, there are still a lot of venues, a lot of pockets, a lot of, like they all move to Cairo because essentially that's where they can rise to the next level. And and that's what it is. Like Cairo, it's like you're in the big leagues and Alexandria, you're not, you're not in the major league. Do you feel that um, nights in Cairo are in some ways more magical because perhaps you don't see it, it that, you know, it's almost like it becomes varnished. You know, it kind of like it's washes away. Yeah, washes away. It's like you want the dirt and the imperfections and maybe the people to some extent. <laughs> you know? Cairo at night is yeah. alive. I've seen nothing like it anywhere. I don't think. I don't think there's another city in the world that is like Cairo because it is essentially the city that never sleeps. There is. So someone was telling me, how do you define Cairo? And it's the sound. It is never quiet. Like this idea of of silence doesn't exist in Cairo. When I moved to the States to go to college, my first week I couldn't sleep. I was living in Boston and 
I realized the reason I couldn't sleep is because it's too quiet. It's it's quiet. It's too quiet. I'm not used to it. I've never had quiet in my life. But you know, like the New York Times just published an article is that a lot of noise is is, is deadly. I, I read that. Yeah. Bullshit. You think it's bullshit? bullshit. I'm fine. <laughs> I think every Egyptian would be dead by now. <laughs> exactly. Especially we'll all be dead. Kyrians. Bullshit. I had poor Saeed school in front of me, glaring every morning at six o'clock. Sorry, and I'm, I think no, I'm no, okay. No, no, I I'm obviously that. a little edgy, but I'm okay. By the way, I have that also because I had a school behind me in, in Alexandria. Well, you know, we all did. And I hear this. And I remember saying it, by the way. I had that episode where I was also in the school. Yeah, so I now used they to call say, it trauma. It's fine. We're fine. We're fine. It's just very it, loud noise for a very long period of time. But it's not only that. Like, okay, so I live now <laughs> close to some some of where your friends live. I live on Muhammad Mazhar. So that right... was a loaded statement. What? That was a loaded. <laughs> no. I live now close to some. Of... Yeah. Wow. Like yeah. Okay. Okay. Fine. But yeah, yeah. I caught it. I just want you what? to know. Go on. <laughs> you I live think, near. Where... <laughs> no, some of your friends live close I, to where I'm living. I get I'm it. I get. I get. It. I feel it's a little oh loaded. Oh my god! Sorry, guys, is it loaded or no? It's not loaded. I think he's just trying to read into it. So, anyways, I live next to where the Hilton, which used to be. Ah, okay. What's yes. it called? Sefir. What Semiramis. was? No, Hilton the. Fizamelik, the oh, one on the north, what's yeah, it called? Yeah, it's yeah. called Safir, Safir Reserve. Safir Zemelik, yeah. Okay, so they have an outdoor space. And since now it's the summertime season, it's wedding Punch. season and mating season. So every night, and I have double glazed windows, okay? I am not kidding. From 8 p.m. to 2 a.m., I am in a cabaret. Yeah. The music, first of all, there's, it's not, there's not a single English song. Yeah. None. Yeah. And it's Arabic music. It's kind of fun, though. I have it to is, say. but not every night. Yeah, not every night. Yeah, not every. But night. that's Cairo. Yeah, that there's is... nothing you can do. What are you gonna do? Who are you yeah. gonna call? Zaptigan. And and if you call them, they're gonna tell. They're you. gonna make it louder. Exactly, exactly. So that's my every night during the summer months, and then in the like in the winter, there's also like the Robabikia guy who yeah, like yeah. appears. It's nonstop. And the Kalex. I. This is the one thing that I never. Understood. Like when I started driving abroad, I, I had the beeping. Okay, in Egypt, people beep like it's just a. I think tic nervo. Like no, beep, no, beep, beep, yeah, beep, yeah. beep, everything. And there, like when you get a beep abroad, it's like a disaster. It's like you're how also not really driving. You're looking for a gap where you can insert your car in. I it's mean, a it's a Tetris not, game. Yeah, it's a Tetris game exactly. When I again, when I moved to the states and I drove for the first time, my friends were like, "Please stop! Please stop!" You're no longer you're no longer allowed to drive. Allowed to drive because I thought of it as a Tetris game. My whole you grew up. All you have to think about is where is there a you know an opening where I can insert and, and, my car. And when is the man on this side not going to cross? Zapped for you to just charge and move. Like exactly. A Tetris game like exactly. Like it, 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 that is essential. And then it's a Tetris game for parking back when you could park. Now you can't even park anymore. But say back when you now, now tried are, to park. Sorry, there are valets. Yes, exactly. V- valet, valet. It's, it's all valet parking. We'll continue our conversation with May about Cairo Eternal and some of the challenges facing the spread of contemporary art in the region right after the short break. Welcome back. I'm Hasha Montassen, and you're listening to my conversation with May Deep. How did you go about, obviously with the with the other editors, but to choosing images, did you solicit people for contributions? So if you know me, you know I'm like a big Instagram person. I'm obsessed with Instagram. Yeah. And Instagram was the best tool for finding these images. And you went viral recently with Fifi Abdo. 
I mean, who's now your BFF? I mean, I'm just saying. I would love her to be my BFF. And I would love to like spend a whole day with Fifi Abdul. That would be like a dream of mine. My day right? with Fifi Abdul. Imagine, fantastic. imagine. So my fascination with Fifi Abdul begins from, from a long time, but Yusuf Nabil also sparked that. And I was so happy that we have an image by Yusuf Nabil in the book and of Fifi Abdul. It is, she's lovely. She's an in icon. In of Yusuf Nabil, but yeah, I think she's lovely. She's an icon. <laughs> she's <laughs> definitely an icon. And then we were at a wedding, a wedding this May and a friend of mine says don't you have Fifi Abdo in your book mm. and I'm like yeah she's in my book she's like do you have a pdf of the book I'm like yeah I have the pdf on the my power book. of phones you didn't yeah. have to schlep the whole book with you to, to the, the wedding. wedding yeah imagine what a look yeah would have not it's gone kind of a cool look though. you know my dress and the, the book would have matched definitely so I I open my phone and I go and I go up to her and she's filming me from the back and I show Fifi Abdo the picture and then she is like amazed like oh my god I'm in this book and she's showing every other person around her look at me look at me it's fascinating because she's an icon and obviously she would be in any book about Cairo or Egypt a hundred percent yeah and then one of her friends, who I have no idea who that is, takes my phone number. What Birnamig? Who is this person? I have no idea. But this person, who's a friend of Fifi, who probably a journalist, has my number somewhere. Maydib Al Kitab. That's it. That's what I wrote. It's <laughs> like, what else am I gonna write? I love that. Huh? And she has my number, and I have yet to get a call. That's fantastic. That was that was my moment of one of my moments of joy. So I interrupted you. You go to social media to yeah. find images. So yeah. is that is that was that your primary research ground a lot of the old images are nostalgic images so those i have like you have them like saved i have a lot of these images that i've referenced that's like what it is i see as cairo there are like four or five images that are my own personal images and then there's a lot of instagram content and i don't know if you've seen this picture you know the picture of the terrace in garden city it's one of my favorite images of cairo right now because it touches upon this element of nostalgia it touches upon uh like this dilapidated glamour from like the 19th century 20th century it, it, it's a beautiful image so that definitely was one of the images i wanted and a lot of other images also i really really wanted to put the faces of now like the young celebrities the young yeah, fashion brands cool. yeah. the young the young people like for example this this amazing ice cream maker dara's ice cream like this is a female my kids there female entrepreneur Fantastic. who created an ice cream brand which has gone everywhere and it's a great product it's and it's Egyptian product. made yeah. and you know what these people need to be celebrated Zuba for example needs to yes, be celebrated that's great Malaika so Malaika, many brands yeah. uh, Binos like Shahira Dieb was a pioneer in like yeah. creating the cafe culture so, so a lot of these people I really felt were owed like they needed to be highlighted because they did create something and they created something that's everlasting 100% um, and how were the quotes selected? So the quotes were selected, a, a lot of it were through the editor. So I sent in a lot of quotes that I found that were relevant. And then they picked a lot and they they asked Nadia to, to do this quote. Yes, they, which was lovely. Uh, yeah. I found personally the quotes a little too orientalist at times. So I'm just being very honest. Some of them are great. I love Nadia's quotes. I like Max Rodenbeck's quote. There's a good by Hisham Matar. There's one with Nagib Mahfouz, yes. which I want to read because I think it's very powerful. Yeah, I, I, I end my book using that. Uh, it's beautiful. It says, home is not where you are born. Home is where all your attempts to escape cease. That's really very powerful. Home is, for me, Umid Dunya, Egypt, essentially. So, so let's pivot to this concept of home because, I, I mean, Nagib Mahfouz is obviously the Egyptian, you know, author, legend, Nobel Prize winner. We all have very different versions of what is home. Um, give me your definition of home. And did that, working on this book, 
change that in any way or impact your view? I'm going to take a step back. Yes. As a person, I have a very weird capacity to like compartmentalize. Okay. So I, I finished the book and, like, done. and I parked it. Like, mm. so I, I, I submitted it in no. Why is that? No, but I don't know. I think it's a coping mechanism with dealing with Egypt, by the, by the way. Probably. Mm, interesting. No, but that's probably, very interesting. Probably, like, because of like how much. Is, you put the book, finished it, submitted it. I'm on to the next. Yeah. So I submitted it in November 2022. And. And then all of a sudden, come April, the book is out. The book is out. I I didn't I didn't follow up. I didn't even know it was coming out in April, and I find it on social media. And I'm like, shit! I didn't clock that this was coming out. I, a lot of people I didn't even tell. So people were like, why are you hiding this? And yeah. I'm like, I'm not hiding anything. I I actually like I just worked on it. It was a project. I had to deliver it, and I treated it like anything I do at work. Like you know, there's a project. You have to work on it. You have to submit it. You're done. On to the next. I think that's also very much part of how I am at work. So I work for Sotheby's, which is an auction house. And essentially, all, all we do is that every season we have an auction. So every season I prep for an yeah, auction. Yeah, that, that is probably a big part of it. And, and that's yeah. it. You deliver the auction and you're done. It's, you know, like people who work on major exhibitions, that's how they feel. Yeah. They, they, it gears up to that very big three, four days, then they're done, and then they're on to this next year. So I'm now on to my next project. So let's, let's think, let's reflect on it now then. Let's take a moment. Let's do that. Because I think it's important. Did it in any way change your definition of home or how you look at home after working on this book? Did it change maybe um, the way you think about, if not uh, from a perspective of home, Cairo, the depth, the warmth, I don't know, the, the, the something? I hate to say this, but no, I, I think my... No, you know, it's fine. I, it's, it's the same for me. Like I, I would hate to live anywhere else. It's definitely a coping mechanism, by the way, and we do have therapists for this. So <laughs> we will discuss this offline, yeah, for sure. I would. The fact that you don't, you did not like reflect on it at all, is definitely a coping mechanism. You probably, it probably has to do with all the noise from your childhood because it was so loud, and or Safir Zamalek. Yeah, the the Kuwaiti parties and that, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but I'm leaving. now I, I'm just putting it together. I'm leaving. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm moving. You out. have what's called noise. So the New York Times was right. <laughs> This is your coping mechanism. I'm moving. <laughs> You're moving. To You're leaving. I'm moving Fantastic. across yeah. the other side yeah. of the bridge. Yeah. Which is equally loud. Yeah, that is. Yeah. But that is the, definitely a coping mechanism. But, but, no, but like what I can tell you is definitively, like, I don't have this urge in any way, shape, or form to leave Egypt. Like, I'm not sure. part of these. No, I think Egypt's one of these places, and Cairo specifically, is if you have the capacity to travel. And to escape, I'll be a week every six weeks. You're golden. If you're stuck there for prolonged periods of time, most people are stuck there, though. Yes, most people are. Yeah. No, but a lot of I'm sorry, Hashem, but a lot of people escape. You can go to Fayum. Sorry. You can go. There's a lot more than just that's a good point. Than leaving the the, the leaving the country essentially. Like during COVID, the two years of COVID, I couldn't travel, and I saw so much of Egypt that is so amazing, for lack of a better word, the White Desert. This it's five hours from Cairo. It's not, yes. it's not like, it's not that. You know, what's interesting about what you said is you said, you know, that I, I don't have any plans to leave. I don't even think it's about where you physically live because I mean, I don't live there anymore, but I certainly think of it as home. Nadia Wasif wrote her book about Egypt, Love Letter to Cairo, which as she says in her book, while she was in London. Um, you know, when we interviewed Mohammed Shah the other day, he was in Mexico. So people, I think your relationship with your home may change or evolve when you live somewhere else or even when you travel, like you said. Yeah. But I don't think the depth and the closeness goes away. Definitely it doesn't go away. And 
when I left Egypt, 2004 to 2010, I was living in New York. And at that time, I thought I would never go back to Egypt. I thought New York was going to be my new home. Because of the Kuwaiti parties? I mean, is that... No, I was in Alexandria. Ah, there were no Kuwaiti parties. Here. No Kuwaiti parties. There's part no equivalent of Kuwaiti parties in Alexandria? No, no, not where I live. That's why Alexandria is not Cairo. See, now we... I, I live in front of a park. It's very, very quiet. It's and I have lovely. no friends there. You don't live near my friends. No, I don't live next to anyone in Alexandria. <laughs> Everyone around me is like... Oh. Uh, very little people live around me in Alexandria, but it's great. Anyways. Okay. Um, no, it's... When I left, I, I was like... It was suffocating. Egypt was suffocating for me. I, everything was suffocating. It was like, everyone was in your business. Everyone knew everything. And then I went to New York and I'm like, but you're so alone. And and this business, like this sense of like the no social, question. The no social question. fabric. Isolation. Exactly. And, and I, COVID obviously amplified that in a huge way. Thank God I wasn't in New York yeah. during COVID. Yeah, and I think people that lived in the States and generally during COVID, in my view at least, suffered disproportionately more than some other countries because as you said the social fabric yeah. is frayed and it is so individualistic exactly which works when your main goal is to make money and to kind of succeed in life you know from a financial standpoint doesn't work if your goal is a bit of social cohesion and to actually exist amongst a community 100 and, and 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 if there's one word it's community like this community is something that you constantly have and you live with and you like there's no way on any on any random day, on a random Tuesday in Cairo at 7 p.m., if I want to go and have a cup of coffee with someone, it's going to happen. Yeah. It's not like, oh, despite I Despite the traffic. Despite, despite the, the traffic, despite the noise, despite everything. It's also, someone's going to be available. Yes. I, I think that is very unique uh, to Cairo. There are probably other cities that have this. I would imagine maybe a place like Mexico City actually does have this. I think maybe some Latin Mexico, countries. I, when I went to Mexico City, I found it super similar to Cairo. Anakaman, I really enjoyed it. Which is why now I don't know if I should reveal this, um, but I watch some of these Mexican telenovelas. Telenovelas, which is fantastic. They like they're basically Semelic, but in like Mexico City. Yeah, in Condesa. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly, exactly. I, I love them. I honestly, I loved Mexico City, and I felt like everyone's like so dangerous. So they, la, I la, went la, there, and fantastic. I had a great time, and it's totally somewhere I could imagine myself being for a prolonged period of time and there's so much affinity and a cultural like yeah i think latin countries i felt the same thing in rio by the way very similar yeah I've parts of rio, rio very very similar and it felt like that social cohesion the city may be uh, at times dangerous maybe this or that but people find a way communally exactly. to support each other exactly you get this in cairo or in egypt in general all over the place and i find that is very very unique to where we're from and it makes it very attractive. Do you find that here in Dubai? Different, very different, because it's such, uh, such a, a larger population of expats. So I think the differences often are amplified. Whereas for us, I think what that does is, no matter of social strata, religion, etc., it brings you together. Yes. There's an Egyptianness, frankly, that brings you together. Absolutely. Here, it's a little bit more complicated, because I think what brings you together is all being in Dubai, but Farah, myself, Chirag, you come from very different places, so I think it's it's a different, um, it's a it's a very different process, uh, to be honest. And you're often out of your comfort zone. That may be good in some ways, but um, in Cairo, obviously, you, for me, it's much easier to find your comfort zone. You slip right in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You can leave for like oh, forever. months and come back, Years. and you're right there. I take my kids now back, and I've, I mean, I haven't lived there physically for a long time doesn't matter even they slip 
write him in some know, funny way. Do you know every single person? Like this is something I didn't mention in the book. Like the whole club mentality, like mm. sporting club or Gizira oh, club mentality. Yeah, that would have been a very interesting lens. Yeah, but I. But the thing is, like at the end of the day, a tourist is buying this book, and they're not gonna access like Gizira. How commercially minded of you? No, I'm like. Yeah, I am. But it's interesting you said this. You know, when we were commissioning some work for the Lighthouse from one of the artists, Egyptian artists, and we were looking at um, archival images, I actually brought up to Aliyah Hamza, our mutual friend at, at Gypsum. Who some, is currently showing at Basel, an amazing Egyptian showing artist. Amazing. Shout out to Aliyah. Definitely shout um, out to Aliyah. We're very proud of her and her artists. In Samir. Yes, Mea She was showing, uh, beautiful, by the way, the work yes. of Hin Samir. But... Um, I brought up some of the archival images from the Gezira Sporting Club and other clubs because they're such an important fabric of part of the Egyptian fabric in, in, in Cairo and Alexandria, I'm sure. 100. So in Cairo, you have Gezira and Alexandria, you have Sporting. And th this is our childhood. And, yeah. and it's like the reoccurring element that keeps... And that's another reinforcing absolutely, communal mechanism. Absolutely. And like, there's nothing better than having your child like spend their afternoons there. Or the entire days, the weekends, entire days. Everything. And you're like, you're learning an activity, you're Sports, you outdoors. eat there, you hang out with your friends, you go to the cinema. You, and it's, it's non-pretentious. Ah. In a very ah. pretentious way. Yes, yes. And I was going to just say. Maybe Gizira Sporting in Alexandria is completely, lacks any pretension. Yeah. Gizira does have an Thanks. element of that. But yeah. uh, thankfully, I am a member from Alexandria. Oh, oh. okay. Oh, okay, Shefa. <laughs> has pretension. She shows off her membership casually. No, I'm I not love it. showing off my, but like being from Alexandria, you wouldn't have had a membership yes. in Gizira because yeah, you're, you're not. very privileged. No. And now after the book, I feel like they have to give you a membership. Gizira, I don't think they really care. <laughs> Not at all. No, no. I, my my grandparents are actually from Cairo. They moved to Alexandria. That's the funny. My my paternal side of my family is from Cairo, and they all moved to Alexandria in the 40s. Did you, you mentioned something earlier. You were talking about uh, Egyptian business, the business community, and many yes. of them coming from Alexandria. Do you think that's a bit of what we see with the Christian minority in Egypt? Because they're a minority, they have to work kind of extra. You see it, minorities everywhere in the world. Yeah. In some ways, they have to work harder. Do you feel that maybe is the case with, with Alexandria being the kind of little sister of Cairo? People from there feel they have to prove themselves more. This social phenomenon exists all over the world. Yeah, I think I never thought of it in that way. But I also think people tend to forget that the largest, Alexandria is the largest port city of Egypt. 75% of goods are coming in through Alexandria. So essentially, if you were a trader or you were someone who was ah, import and export, Alexandria would have been where you started. You have the trader mentality exactly. growing up Definitely. there. Definitely. A bit like Beirut. where Or there's, Jeddah. Where or, people exactly. say, you know, the families there have a bit more of that openness and trader exactly. mentality. They grew up kind of around the port. Around the port. Beirut, and I think yeah. the port has that has that. I impact. didn't think and of that element. But that's just my take. And I think definitely being in this import-export uh, in and out sort of mentality. And and remember Alexandria then, and a lot of these families have left Alexandria, was a melting pot. It was super, super international. There were a lot of Greeks, there were a lot of Italians, Armenians. there were a lot of Armenians. It was, it was essentially a big uh, hodgepodge of different people. Is any of that left, by the way? Very, very small. Very little. No, not just the people, the feeling. I think architecturally. Only architecturally, okay. Yeah, I think architect. You have like tiny pockets, but you know what's amazing? Like you can see, you can still see the signs on the buildings, and those are the ones that, like, I really hope they. The stay. same way we think about Groppi, Masala. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. But like, you still have these signs, and they're all across downtown, and I really hope they 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 remain intact.
some way, somehow. I hope so too. So I want to move on to something uh, adjacent to this, which is your obviously career in uh, in the arts. What brought that up? Uh, because you do specialize in some ways in Egyptian art, although yeah. you're a Middle East specialist. So why did you choose that as your vocation? So I graduated in 2008. Okay. Mega financial crisis. Mm. Uh, Bear Stearns had collapsed. Oh, I remember. I was in New York the day it oh, collapsed. You were in New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I saw them walking out of the building. So I was graduating the month Bear Stearns was collapsed. Yeah, so was I. I... It's fine. Let's just roll with it. It's fine. Okay. We should just move on and, you know, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's so move. I'm graduating from Barnard, <laughs> May 2008. Bear Stearns is collapsing, complete collapse. And I'm applying for jobs right, left, and center. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm not going to get a job. And I had this thing as a non as a non American, you have this thing called OPT. So you can work yeah. in the US yeah. for a year. Essentially, what I really wanted to do was I thought I wanted to go to law school. So I thought that I'm going to work for a year, and then go to take my LSAT, go to law school, and then figure it out. And I study for my LSAT, and I'm, I thoroughly dislike it. I do not mm. enjoy it at all. Um, and, and I can't get a single job because, like, the world is in meltdown, okay? I am uh, a bit of a Nepo baby, so uh, I get a job at Sotheby's. And I'm glad you admit to it. No, I'm, I'm admitting. Great. You I, own it. I own it. It's Halas. fine. That's but fine. We love Nepo Baby. 15 years later, I, I sort of proved myself. Yeah, I, I think, Halas, you've, you've paid your dues. Yeah, yeah, you've paid, paid your dues. dues. Yeah. Uh, so I get this job at Sotheby's and I tell my mom, I remember, I'm like, listen, I'm only doing this for one year because I want to be in New York and I want to experience living in New York and working in New York. I don't know anything about the art world. I studied political science at Middle Eastern studies. Either I'm going to work in politics or I'm going to go into journalism. So what grabbed you? So when I first started... They placed me in Orientalist art. Mm -hmm. And being a Middle Eastern studies student, learning about Edward Said, it was like, oh my God, Orientalism. Life-changing. It's like, you, yeah, yeah. you're supposed to hate this. Yeah, yeah. And then every single person who's buying Orientalist art is a Middle Eastern client. And I'm like, oh my God, what would Edward Said say? Yeah. He would like die. Yeah, yeah. Because he's against this. Yeah. And I'm like cataloging all these Orientalist paintings. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like selling them to the client. <laughs> they're all Egyptian. And they're, they're all, all Arab. They're all yeah, Middle it's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. And it's hilarious. We're like, you're not supposed to look at this like that. Exactly. I you're know the feeling. And I'm, yeah, like, yeah. And I'm like, and this was everything that was, I was taught. And I'm like, this is so confusing. <laughs> That's brilliant. I have to say, to me, if there is one book that has had the most effect in my life, it's Orientalism. Yeah. Hands down. Oh, by far. By far. It's actually complete mindset change. You know, like to me, it was literally the moment I read it, my entire viewpoint changed. And all of these feelings that were there were finally sort of legitimized by this book and this guy. Amazing. And the site is brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you... Have you ever read his uh, his essay about uh, belly dancing? I read most of his most of his work. He's, this guy, if I can, yeah. and, except and, for the very dense stuff where he goes into just, like and just literary also criticism. Another plug: He went to school in Alexandria, and he, he was did? born That's in Alexandria. He went to Victoria College, a great institution yeah. from a bygone plug. area. It's great. It's fact. Yeah, it it's is fact. So back to you. Sorry. So yeah, I, I'm 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 like in the middle of this like craziness because I'm supposed to hate this art, but I'm selling it, cataloging it, and it's doing really well. And Sotheby's. Uh, asks me to stay on after this year and they get me a visa and all of that. And I start doing different um, stages, like, you know, do like different rotations. So I moved to jewelry, which I like thrive in. I'm like, oh my God, I get to wear a tiara. I get to wear all this amazing jewelry. Yeah, take... you think you're Nefertiti. Yeah, I, I think it. I am mm -hmm. Nefertiti, yeah. essentially. Uh, maybe Cleopatra, since she's also from Alexandria. But that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. Fine. Uh, so I enjoy that. And then 
I'm like, but I actually want to focus on the Middle East. And I'm in New York and New York's so far away. At that point, we were really, all of the Middle East business was being run out of London. So I had asked to be moved to London and they said no. So I quit. Mm. May, uh, June, 2010, I quit. And I did I not know that. I moved back to Egypt. Mm. Great timing. Uh, yeah. June, twenty. Revolution on the corner. But the economy was doing so well. Sah. And I was like, great time to be back. I'll figure out something out. I don't know what I'll do, blah, blah, blah. Everything was great. And then Sotheby's calls me up and they're like, do you want to come back and work for us? So I'm essentially unemployed for two months. And I start working again for Sotheby's September 2010, but remote working. So based out of Cairo, covering the region and reporting. Which you've done ever since. Yeah, I've done ever since. And now I am associated to the Dubai office. So I am technically part of the Dubai team. I know, but you're still in Egypt, which which I find still remarkable. Not just because of the things, circumstances in Egypt, but I think more importantly to someone also, I'm saying this as an Egyptian, as an art lover and as your friend, I think you do a fantastic ambassadorial role. You really you. play a very important role. I mean that. So many people have discovered, not just Egyptian art, Egypt, in fact, uh, through you uh, and through your lens. I mean that. I mean, people have, Thank you, how many that's... trips have you organized all over Egypt from the West Oasis to Fayum to Alexandria, etc. So, I mean, if I were Sotheby's, I hope they're listening. You know, the value is not just, you know, understanding the art and selling the art. You've really, I think, made a lot of people look at Egypt very differently. And I think that's a huge testament, really, to your to who you are. Thank, thank you so much. No, that's I mean very, that. That's very I mean kind. That. But I, I also, like, I'm an extremely curious individual. So, I have this voracious appetite for discovering things that I don't know. But being on the ground, I'm sorry, I'm just going back, that gave you also, I think, a certain edge, legitimacy as yeah. well, you know? As opposed to the person flying in from Dubai or London or whatever. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Because it because it is actually is home. Yeah. Like I am discovering, not discovering, I am like playing it at home. Like it's your playground. You're you're just you're just enjoying the things that exist in your playground. And and there's so much there. And have you seen the taste change a bit? Because one of the things that we hear a lot, obviously, and I'm much more adjacent to this world than you are, you're in it. From is that not just Egyptian collectors, but generally speaking, most buyers have always focused on um, modern Egyptian art and modern Middle Eastern art. And it's much, much harder to get people to move to the contemporary, despite the talent that we spoke about earlier. Is that still the case? It has still a struggle? Yeah, it very is. much so. It is. Very much Why do you think that's the case? Is it nostalgia element again? I don't think it's a nostalgia Or actually element. quality of work. Like, no, in other words, I, I Wandi and Saeed's are no, arguably think, higher quality. No, I think the quality of contemporary art in Egypt is fantastic. I agree. Wael Shawi, Basim Magdi, Mahmoud Khalid. There's so many names I can talk about. Uh, Mahmoud Moon. Fantastic, fantastic artists. Names, fantastic absolutely. artists who are extremely, who will hold their ground in front of any modern artist. I agree. I think the biggest problem is a lot of these collectors have an old school vision of, of the format. So they're not really... Um, they're not really excited to go to photography. But it's odd because those were like our parents' generation. Now yeah. my generation is like in their 40s and 50s. I mean, they're no longer kids. And many of them, so I would have thought, I'm just interested in this point. They should have switched. Mishhatta switched. But like, for example, I'm interested in both. I 100% could today acquire or appreciate a piece of modern art but I also have but a Tesha, huge interest in contemporary art. The global trend is still obsessed with painting. That is, that is not unique to Egypt. 
people are obsessed with painting. So, but are are the painters amongst the new generation, we're talking about Hindu Sabri earlier and others, yeah. are those then rising to prominence? I, I think, feel like abroad, yes. I think we are slowly. From, okay. I think slowly it will happen and there will be a huge uptake. To what's needed? More people like you? I think there needs to be like more people to visit more homes where contemporary art is on display, yeah. where they can see contemporary Good art point. can... Can, ah. And I don't think they see that a lot. No, they, don't. they don't see like, uh, um, you know what? This is an amazing Wa'il Shaui with Mahmoud Saeed. With the best they don't board. see it. So as long as they don't see it and they can't visualize it, That's then, a very good point. then it's not going to happen. A lot of the things I hear is that, well, it's not going to match. Well, it doesn't need to match. Art never needs to match. Yeah, we have to match. We have to match. I, it kills kanaba, me. Kanaba. It, kanaba. it kills me. It yeah, really yeah, kills yeah, me. Yeah, so... so <laughs> I think once you have more examples of people going to collectors' homes where they can see how contemporary art is extremely livable and it's something you can not only live with, but you can like... Mix and match. Mix and match. I mean, look, I'll be very honest. In my own experience, even you, you know this, I was careful. Like I created sections. So I'll have like, you know, and only now, and I've been, you know, doing this for a while, am I frankly feel I'm confident to start mixing and matching and even then, if I bring someone like yourself or some of my friends that are in the art world, I get very nervous. And it's not an easy step. That's the beauty of it. It's okay. So. And you can make mistakes. We all make mistakes. Yeah. There's no well, right. I don't make mistakes, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah you so. went to Harvard twice. Yes. Thank you. Sorry. Thank you for mentioning that. It hasn't been mentioned yet on that you podcast. You did not go to so, Harvard yeah, yeah. once. You went twice, to Harvard twice. twice. Yeah, 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 twice. I Thank only you. sadly went to Columbia once, but I know. that's not good enough. I know. It's okay. It's I love okay. you. I love you nevertheless. I know. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to love me. It's yes. hard not to love me. <laughs> but essentially, it's okay. You know what I mean? Okay. So I'll give you a simple example. My grandmother, very kindly, uh, so she wanted to give me, uh, when I got married, uh, she has a small Mahmoud Said sketch, uh, prep work. Uh, and she wanted to give it to me as a result of getting married. And then she thought, oh my God, she's getting older. She's not getting married. Give it to her like for, <laughs> before I for her die. Birthday. Before I die. So <laughs> she gives me this wonderful Mahmoud Said. So I have the Mahmoud Said. And under it, there's an amazing, um, amazing American artist, Jesse Homer French. Then I have a massive contemporary painting by this African artist. And then I have two Muhammad Ahmed Ibrahims. Yeah. And it works. And you feel totally fine. Yeah. And I feel, and it totally works. Yeah, I agree it, with It's you. not like, there's not like, oh my God, there's a class. It, works but it's what you said i think people need to go to more homes see this exactly. to feel that it's and and we're not there yet yeah um we will get there we'll get there for we'll sure there. this has been wide-ranging and fantastic my um mabrook honestly the book is great you are great keep at it thank you keep playing this very important ambassadorial role and uh, we can't wait now that you finish this project for your next project do you have anything in mind is there anything in the horizon well i have auctions that you have many auctions <laughs> i need to sell yeah tiaras so, more tiaras more tiar no honestly we have we have fantastic things coming up we have for the first time so you know our our biggest our biggest thing in london is um, the june marquee sales so the june evening sales yes and we are featuring Selwar Shair, who's a lebanese modernist and she's going to be part of the evening sales. so that's something we're celebrating we're very excited about so to have Selwar Shair, uh next to some of the greatest modernists and contemporary artists that Western modernists and contemporary artists is a huge that achievement is. and we're so excited about it. And it's Who happening does? June 27th. So that's my next next big project. Next big and then on to the next. Bravo. Thank you, May. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much. 
Thank you for joining me on this episode of the Lighthouse Conversations. I'm Hashem Montasser. We're produced by Chirag Desai, and our content director is Farah Sharif. You can connect with us on Instagram at the Lighthouse underscore podcast. We'll see you again in two weeks.